Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Steve Sully study. Um, I'm at Woodbury House once again, and I'm following this uh, art series that I'm doing. Um, if you've been following my content and watching the videos, I've interviewed some key street artists from New York recently, and also some art dealers and art uh, sort of, um, let's say, affiliates to, uh, to, to Richard Hamilton's market. Um, how we are evolving it now, we're speaking to British uh, contemporary street artists, and the guy in front of me is a guy called, goes by the name of Remy Ruff. Thank you very much for your time, and thank you for coming on board. Very welcome, mate. So, this, um, when was it? 2018? I think yeah. we, 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 we got connected. I know it was more so with my, my, my business partner, Mike. Yeah. Uh, we were doing a show for uh, Mr. Christopher Ellis Days. Um, I think that went pretty well, that that particular show. Um, I think he only had, had, had done one show uh, previous in London um, a few years back. And um, we were quite fortunate enough to, to, to come up with the idea of doing two murals. Well, he'd done two murals uh, for, the, for the project, one in uh, Shoreditch and also one just around the corner in, in Soho by, by the Supreme Store. Yeah. And it was really, really cool. You know, there was um, it was a lot of buzz around there. We got into really good publications, and I just like his work. I think he's a, a, a very, very cool guy. Yeah, and what lovely. made, yeah, what made sense for us is because most of our efforts have been concentrated on the Richard Hamilton market. He was actually Richard Hamilton's tenant, um, and that so that story kind of evolved because what we try and do here at Woodbury House is tell a story. It's not just about jumping from one artist to another, one genre to an, another, because for me, that doesn't make any sense. I like to connect the dots. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of the reason why I wanted to interview you is because I feel like that those dots are sort of connecting with you. Um, obviously, you came to the day's event and you just re- uh, recently just told me that you're, you're good friends with, with, with Crash. Both Crash and Days. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've known Crash oh, since 2012, I think. Um, or maybe thirteen, um, but obviously I've known you know known him since I bought Subway Art. My mum bought me Subway Art when I was a kid, um, but he he bought a painting off me, but I didn't know it was him at the time. And he bought this painting, and my assistant sent it off, and she dealt with it, and it was all cool. And then he emailed me uh, this guy John Matos emailed me again. He's like, "Oh hi, I'd like to get another piece off you. I want a like serograph or a print." And um, he sent it from a different email, and it was Crash One at AOL. You know what is Crash One yeah. email? And uh, I was like, Crash John Matt. I was like, No, it can't be him. And <laughs> then I realised it was him, so I emailed him. I was like, Dude, what, you know, I'm not going to sell you a serograph. Let's do a swap. So um, we did a swap. Then he asked me if I wanted to do a collaboration show with him, which we did in 2014 at uh, a gallery called um dorian gray gallery yeah i know it. side yeah i know it really well um and so we had i think we had like three solo pieces each and then there's probably 12 pieces that we collaborated on and so he sent me a bunch of pieces through the post i sent him a bunch of pieces and we just worked on them um and it's quite quite a nice synergy um and then he signed me to his gallery Woolworks, um and i've done a couple of shows with them uh at Woolworks. one Last one was 2019, October. Um, and then obviously I know days just from being in New York and, and being in the studio with them. Yeah, um, cool. Hanging out with them quite a bit, so I've got good friends with both of them. Good. So I, I don't want to jump the gun because there's so much stuff I want to talk about in and around, you know, what you were just talking about just there. Mm. I like to, you know, get to know the artist's backgrounds because as well as talking about your art, 
and you know and and your take on the art market and where you see it heading and also your collaborations and stuff from a let's say entrepreneurial kind of creativity point of view how did you start in art what's your background and you know when did you decide that was the route you were going to go down so i guess i mean i grew up in london um i was born in guy's hospital in london bridge and i don't yeah. think i've ever lived other than a little stint in paris for a year and a half i've never lived that far away from where i was born to be honest um i as a child i was obsessed with drawing um, and painting and i was always always had like markers or, or pens or pencils or paints in my hands um and as i went through school um also still in south london um my careers teachers if you will were trying to push me into sort of the, the graphic design world and whilst that was all going on you know it's like eight nineteen eighty five so i've been doing graffiti for about a year um i started in 84 um you know it's quite a weird tumultuous time because it was like thatcherite britain so it was very i guess it was very uptight from a, a teenager's perspective you know to be mm. th there wasn't opportunity there were there were not things to do there was not the money to to you know funnel into young people at that point so graffiti for me was like an outlet it was a, a way of connecting with peers and similar minds um and i met you know so many people through that network um but i think for me i was always into the art i wanted to create art i didn't want to just you know like write my name on stuff i did that of course part and parcel <coughs> of what it is but um i guess i just i just started on that journey i had a short stint in art school which I didn't really take to um and then i just i just went and did it i just got on with it yeah you know you mentioned art school there something i always like to ask artists mm. so is is uh, is art creativity can it be taught is it just something you have naturally um i think it can be taught i think you can so i've got a friend very good friend brilliant artist called charlie peters and she's actually the head of course at ual um and you know you can teach the business of art you can teach the aesthetics of art you can teach the history of art you can't teach someone to draw if they don't have a natural ability um but then you know there's people who are brilliant artists who probably can't draw who do crazy stuff that i love you know can't think of someone off the top of my head but um i mean there's you know like with some of the my favorite artists that i've kind of really adhered to in the past few years people like Casimir Malevich Van Duesberg you know the suprematists um that kind of Russian constructivist painting era which is something I discovered post graffiti so you know it's kind of late in life um you know there's a lot of talk about how you know people say Tracy Emin can't draw I love Tracy Emin yeah <clears throat> but um I don't I don't think you can teach someone to make art you can give them the confidence you can give them the the tools and the ability um to go and make it but yeah i don't know it's a hard question because there's, there's like two two elements to it you, you could literally be that person that can pick up a brush or a pen or a pencil and and go to work on a canvas or a piece of paper or even on the streets yeah that's what people kind of imagine what an artist is is like but then you've got the other side of it when they can direct with their 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 kind of vision to to how certain art is going to be and they can employ other people to, to do it i mean i've heard that certain artists do that 
Um, and I, some people may agree with that. Some people may not agree with that. But the facts are, I mean, Jeff Coons, or let's say a Damien Hurst, he hasn't got a great white shark out the sea himself with his bare hands and put it into a box. You know, he might have. <laughs> I've got an interesting Hurst story. <clears throat> I um about oh, nine years ago, ten nine years ago, um, I got a call um, from her studio saying, "Could you come in for a meeting?" And luckily it's in Peckham, so it's quite near where I live. So I walked down, walked into this huge, massive, massive studio, um, and then walked through into another massive studio. They're like big warehouses, and they basically just knocked them all through. I think it's three of them. And we went into this great big room, which was full of coffin freezers, full of um, butterflies, like hundreds and hundreds of thousands. And they had these couple of uh, young kids kind of gluing the butterflies all concentrically in circles on these massive, like, you know, two metre by two metre canvases. Um, and they asked if I could paint a grid, a metre by a metre, with a grid inside it, um, without any snags, with tape, you know, like, I said, yeah, sure. They said, can you do one? So they gave me some paint, gave me some tape. Um, I said, look, this isn't the best tape, you know, I need yellow tape. Went out, got me yellow tape. I did this grid. They looked at it, they photographed it. They sent it to somebody, and then they said, okay, you got the job. I'm like, to do what? Um, and then they got me into the tape when he had his big show, and I did an eight-meter by four-meter. Actually, sorry, I did two eight-meter by four-meter walls with these blue grids. It took weeks. Beautiful. I, I had a couple of other people helping me. but um, Yeah. So you said about the tape there, because I've done my homework, and I know you spoke at the tape back in yeah. 2008. There was a street yeah. art sort of um, show or convention going on there. Yeah. Can you talk me talk, yeah, talk so to me a bit a bit about that? So that was interesting. Basically, I saw, uh, I think it was sort of an article um, on one of the news sites about Tate, and it's like, Tate, you're doing street art finally. And, you know, I saw the list of artists. There was uh, an Italian, two Brazilians, a Frenchman, two Americans, and somebody else can't remember who. And I thought, there's no Brits. I, I just thought, I don't understand that. Why would you? You know, so many amazing Brit, British artists. I don't really care who it is. Uh, and so I found out who was curating the show, and it was a guy called Cedar Lewison. And I, I found his email, emailed him, and said, love what you're doing, great idea, fantastic, but I think you need a British artist. I'm not suggesting me. I could suggest 20 amazing artists that could do it. Um, and I wrote down five just to, you know, for him to look at. Anyway, so he you know, got in touch and said, look, you know, I'm trying to introduce these artists to Britain, not British artists to Britain, which is, you know, whatever. Um, but then he asked, you know, would you come and be part of the talks program? So I thought, I should, because if I don't, then there's no representation. Mm. And so I did. It's good for, um, let's say, your, your profile and your CV to say you've, you've spoken yeah. at the Tate. Yeah. What, no, what, was, was there a lot of people there? Uh, it was packed for the 300 people, which is all you can get into the Star Auditorium. And they turned people away. I think they turned people away for every talk from that program. Wow. Um, and they had, uh, Black Lerat was in the same, so he yeah. was talking the same day as me. They had Raphael Schachter, who's an academic. He writes a lot um, about street art and graffiti art. Uh, a guy called Tristan Manco, who works with Banksy. Loads of people. Um, but they wanted me to talk about the history of street art. I was like, I don't really know about the history of street art. So I'm a graffiti writer. So I, I talked to him about that. And um, I did like a little kind of presentation on, on, on what I know and how, I, how I've seen this sort of thing evolve and grow. 
Yeah. So uh, again, going back to like a little bit of your background and doing some some homework on you, um, is it fair to say it was roughly about 96, 98 where you started converting and you started working with the galleries? Um, I did, I actually did my first gallery show in 89. 89, okay. Yeah, but I didn't, I wasn't really making studio work. <coughs> you know, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't show you what I did for that show. <laughs> it's terrible. But I think, yeah, probably late 90s, I started transitioning into doing some sort of key things. I was traveling a lot. I was going to Paris a lot at that time. Yeah. Hooking up with um, people like John One, um, a good friend of mine who's in Paris um and just connecting and i think the interesting thing about graffiti art is it was the first social media so we i was in touch with people that's a great way of putting it yeah i was in touch with people in la risk in la was, you know we were writing to each other in in 89 90 uh and you know you'd like write a letter you put photos in you post it out and then you sit there and you wait for <laughs> you know something to fall on out the letterbox and that you know i mean it, that was going on for a few years. I was writing to Phase Two in New York. Um, you know, I had huge connections all over the world, and that you know there was no internet even at this point. So the only way you could connect was was through writing letters, yeah, um, or, or phone calls. And, yeah, and, you know, I, I couldn't afford to phone the states so, or France, so it, I was writing letters. So, like, I interviewed, um, as you will know, out Diaz recently, Coke, mm. uh, Coke 2, uh, Crash. I've interviewed Days, uh, a few photographers from back, back in New York. And um, what, what I got from Coke 2 is the reason why he started on the streets of New York, predominantly, is one, to express his creativity, but to almost take over a train line mm. because it was a form of advertisement. It kind of connects to, to what you're saying about social media. Mm. He got to be known as the guy who was controlling that um, tube or underground line because he was dubbing it, tagging it, etc. And when he got known kind of locally famous, then it started the opportunity started manifesting off the back end of it. Was it the same with you? Was you trying to like advertise yourself so you could, so opportunities could be born or was you just expressing no, your creativity? I don't think it was the same. People always ask me what the difference between street art and graffiti art is. And there's a really good paper actually that an artist called Askew from New Zealand wrote on this. Okay. It's, it's, it's something graffiti artists get asked a lot. Um, basically what I tell people is they're, they're very different languages. You know, when we started graffiti, we didn't do it for anyone to appreciate, for anyone to connect with. We didn't really care if they could read it. We didn't care if they could understand it or connect with it. It was a language that we had that could integrate us with other people who were using the same language. Um, street art is, it's a visual language, but it's not coded. It's for everyone. It's, it's more for the people who are walking past uh, you know, a piece of street art than it is for other street artists. It's not for other artists. Yeah. It's for the general public. So it's a, it's still a communicative tool, but it's it's communicating something completely different. There's no guarded sort of, you know, cloak behind it. There's no kind of secret code or coded language. It, it, it just is there for people to enjoy or to not enjoy. Um, so very different. And I, I always use the analogy. It's kind of like a little bit like, you know, if you have like someone who's in a rock band and, and knows all the major chords and just bashes it out, or someone like Jose Gonzalez, um, who's like a master guitar player who can, you know, down tune his guitar and play that instrument like no one else can. Very different. They're very different languages, I think. Okay. Um, 
but it's like you know they just get kind of blocked into the same thing yeah well, uh, it was like um, Hamilton and some of his affiliates, his predecessors, Jean-Michel Basquiat and Keith Farron, they started converting the name of graffiti or street art into public art, Yeah, which I love that spin on it. Um, I think that's a really, really good way of looking at it. Well, I think one of the most important, for me, um, artists out of New York is John Fechner. I don't know if you know John Fechner. Not well. familiar. So exactly the same era as Hamilton and Herring. Um You've probably seen a very famous picture of um, Ronald Reagan on the campaign trail. And there's the letters behind him on the Bronx all burnt out. It says decay. Don't right. you've ever seen that photo. Maybe if I saw it, I would recognise it. Very famous. And he wasn't even present. He was on the campaign trail and he was trying to, like, he's in the Bronx. We're going we're gonna to hook you up, sort you out. Um, and it's a very interesting film called um, A Decade of Fire, which is okay. about the Bronx burning. Wow. And how... You know, they blamed the people who lived there, and it wasn't the people who lived there. It's a very, you know, they basically destroyed the Bronx and tried to destroy the people in it. Um, and John Fechner was, and still is, an incredible, incredible artist who um, was dealing with the social element of what was going on in the Bronx at that time, and still now as well. Um, very good friend of mine, and and a very underrated and misrepresented artists from that era of new york right interesting in, in my mind like literally he is the godfather of street art really okay because that 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 uh saying is what they called uh hamilton actually the godfather yeah. street art it's been used a few times by new york times yeah. but yeah i'm gonna need to check that guy out definitely yeah. i mean very you know exactly the same era um i'm sure they knew each other what was the um, style like in comparison he, he was a lot a lot of it is lettering based Okay. Um, I've got a, an original photo he sent me, um, which is dated 1979, and it's a Greyhound bus going over a bridge okay. in, in New York. But he wrote "Wheels over Indian Trails." Wow. And the whole idea is that you know, like this is Native American land. You know, you can put wheels on it, but it's still Native American land. And that's the kind of social commentary he was trying to achieve. Yeah. Um, and and he still he's still making that work to this day, and he's in his sixties, and he's 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 still killing it. He's amazing. That's great. Do you, so you know, like Jean Michel Basquiat, Keith Faring, and all these all these great artists who were born f from that time, and they <clears throat> they've paved the way for so many other artists, and they've inspired so many people, not just in the art community, but in fashion and all kinds of different different elements of of life. Um, Looking at the, the investment side of things, I mean, their, their pieces now are going for tens of millions of dollars. Jean-Michel Basquiat, as you well know, in 2017 went for 110.5 million. Mm -hmm. Now, if I'm speaking to a business person or an investor, that conversation is quite, you know, in tune with their mindset because their business, you know, they're, they're in things to make money, maybe to enjoy it as well, but predominantly they buy things to make money. But when I... I like to ask the same sort of questions to artists. How do you feel about that? Because as an artist, you're, you know, you're 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 there as a a creator. But is there another side of your work that you think you know is a is is you know the investment side of things? Do you have like investors come to you and ask to buy your work? Yeah, I mean, yeah, totally. I mean, I'm in the business of art. Mm. You know, like I've got the sort of key gallery I work with is based in northern Italy, in a town called Trento. Okay. Um, I also work with, um, I don't know if you know, Magda Danis in Paris. Um, it's a great gallery. It's got Paris, Shanghai. And, you know, I've built my 
work my price points my market up over the last few years um you know it's gone into some serious collections it's in yeah like very non-serious collections um so it's important to me um i understand it it's not the be all and end all of everything i do um but i think you have to be very aware of the business of art and if you're not i think you're very naive and i know a lot of artists who are very astute on the business part. And a couple who, they just want to make art. They don't care at all. They don't care, you know, about remuneration. They don't care about price points or market. And that's that's amazing. And that's great if you can if you can live like that. And But the, the thing is, as things grow, you have to kind of understand how that business can grow. Um, mm. And I think that's been very important for me the last few years. Um, I guess especially when you... <clears throat> you're suddenly asked to do museum shows and, and shows that have a certain level of stature that you kind of need to really think about like what you do after that and where you go after that um, mm. and who you work with after that. You know, it's, I always think that in the art world, you can only go forward, you can never go backwards, which is can be difficult. Mm. Um, it can be very difficult to maintain a sort of clear path in the art world. Um, you know, touch wood. I've been quite lucky and, and I've managed to kind of maintain my trajectory in, a, in, in the way I'm happy with. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's also, I, th- I think with what I do, what I'm part of, I think it's quite important. And I think a lot of people don't get that. Um, it's the only art form ever created by and taken forward by children. Right. The only art movement. Um, nothing else has that. Um, and I think, you know, there will be a point in time where the art historians will, fully understand that fully engage with that i don't think they have yet um i know you've done the shows in hong kong you've done it in obviously america paris um and 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 obviously a few other places um as your career moves on and it becomes a bit more global you know you're doing work in different different parts of the world if you can think about when you first converted from let's say the streets of of london or wherever you're doing your work into more galleries and you started on a certain price price point how do you know as an artist when to incrementally increase those prices oh, I, d- I didn't know that until a long time until i started working with people who understood that better than i understood that and kind of helped me understand that um sky i guess some of the galleries i've worked with like spearstra in switzerland has been quite pivotal in helping me with that um and it's just it's just knowing your worth you know like every year you know you're making new work and so every year you've made new work there's you know work that you made in 92 that's now a year older so you know you kind of you're pulling apart your career it's like elastic slowly and slowly and slowly and slowly um and that work increases in value because it's older it becomes more value it becomes more fragile it becomes more delicate it becomes more unobtainable um you know stuff that's in collections you know that's still increasing in value just because someone's bought it doesn't mean the value's just flattened out doesn't exist anymore you know the value goes up you know it depends again it depends who who acquires pieces who buys pieces yeah where they go yeah um so i think yeah it's it's, it's i mean there's a, i think the thing with art is there's no easy answer and um, and it's you know it's like complete it's like being in a wild west film you know it's like you can do what you want and 
hopefully get away with it yeah or not yeah um but what i think is interesting about being in the art world is when you see artists who really understand what it is they're doing and how they want to do it and they're very focused you know i, I mean i'm not a fan of damien Hurst's work but as a businessman i think he's brilliant and he's very clever um and there are other artists that you know i think are fantastically clever with the way they do the business of art ian davenport i don't know if you know his work i think he's a brilliant art businessman mm. and a brilliant artist mm. so it's it's interesting you just you come to learn a lot more you know i'm 50 this year so you know i kind of i'm at a stage in my life where i'm still learning stuff i guess yeah i don't think that ever probably ends does it ever hopefully <laughs> be sad if it does <laughs> Um, funny enough, yesterday me and my business partner Joseph, I was talking about this in in the car on on the way back from training. Mm. Um, we uh, excuse the pun, but you know, you are starting with uh, a blank canvas, so to speak, in regards to how to control. Or some people may call it not my words, but I've people heard people reference it as manipulate or influence the market or whatever whatever. Um, you obviously have your products, but then you have the way of purporting it to the world. So doing the, the global shows, if you can, working with the right publications, trying to be with the right galleries or art agencies, art houses, um, museums is obviously a very good thing. Um, Richard Hamilton had in 2017 the MoMA put you know one of his pieces into the permanent collection. I know Christopher Ellis Days is obviously a part of that. Yeah. So is Basquiat and so many other great artists. This year in Germany, there's going to be a solo exhibition in a solo museum show for Hamilton. So I know these kind of things, even though I've only been in art for seven years now, I'm, I'm 35 years of age and I'm still a pup in this, in this industry. I'm learning that there are certain things that stimulate the artist market. But also, this is the, the next part I want to get onto, is collaborations. I think they're so important. Uh, Cope 2, Crash, Futura, uh, you know, uh, Ramel Z, a lot of them have collaborated with some household names and big brands. Next door, actually, I've got hanging up on the side a Converse shoe that Futura done, which I got from Collect Store in Paris. I had mm. to wait online, and I was one of the lucky people that got through that tel telephone line. They ended up buying a pair of these sneakers, which were very, very cool. I've only worn them two or three times, and they're a bit of art to me now. Um, how important is it, do you believe, you know, collaborations, uh, maybe not with other artists, but in, in different sectors? How important is that? Um, I think it's, well, as someone who's just done a quite major collaboration with Hay Club and, and David Beckham, you know, I think those kind of projects help art move forward. There's, there's not a lot of money in helping the arts at any kind of ground level. You know, like when you're, you know, you sign to a big gallery and they're selling your work, that's fine. But there's there's this whole grey area of artists that miss out on showing work, selling work, and they're in a constant state of hustle, which you know some manage really well. But when you know a, a gig comes along and you can you can do it the way you want to do it, um, and be free with you know your style of work and the ideas you've got. I, d I don't think there's a problem with that. You know, like art has always been something that, you know, the, the world of marketing and world of brands has jumped on or the world of fashion has jumped on. I mean, Futura has been doing it. God, Lenny's been doing it since <coughs> the dawn of time. You know, like I remember we started his own company. He had Recon in the 90s with Stash. And you know, I used to go to New York and I used to go to the store there and get bits and bobs off them. And 
I think, you know, the brand collaborations can be really, really good now. And I think, you know, interestingly, I think brands look for different artists to work with now. Yeah. They're not just working with the same sort of top tier artists. Mm -hmm. um, but even with Futura, you know, he was doing like all the artwork for Moax Records in the sort of 90s yeah. and, and 2000s, which pushed him out there. It kind of rebranded him because I think he was at a stage in his career where, you know, New York was quite a tough place to sell work. Um, and a lot of those guys, you know, Crash, Days, you know, all their business of art was going on in Europe at yeah. that point, in, in Holland, in, in Paris, and occasionally in London. But... Um, you know, New York kind of came back into it a little bit after that. It's always the same. You know, it's like me. I, you know, I, I'm more successful abroad than I am here, probably. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, all, all the galleries I work with abroad. I don't. I don't work with a gallery in London. So. Oh right. I used, um, used to work with Scream Gallery. Okay. Jamie Woods. Mm -hmm. um, until they closed. Yeah. This kind of goes back to what we were talking about about you know, uh, art, but then the business side of art, mm. and. Um, um, who is it? One of my favourite artists um, is George Kondo, and yeah. I think he's, you know, yeah. I think his work is incredible. It's always really interesting. I, I, I can never get get bored of looking at his art. I think it's, uh, it's quite scary some of it, and he's, he's just cool. I just really like it. But I know he's done the front cover of, I think it was Travis Scott's um, album or one of his, one of his, uh, yeah, I think it was one of his EPs, and then there was. Um, uh, he done one for Kanye West, and I, you know, when I when now that I'm in art, you know, it's, it's clearly a project because it's fun, but mm. also it's brand building. You know, you're building your brand. You know, you're you're crossing over into different demographics, and I think that helps. You know, let's say the investment side of your art, but as well as reaching new collectors who may may never have been interested in your art before, but now because you've collaborated with, let's say, a rapper or someone in music, it suddenly opens up the doors for many other opportunities. So with what, with what you've done, for the audience who might might not be aware, hi, uh, hi is Hake. it? Hake. Uh, is a whiskey, correct? Yeah, Hake, yeah. So how did that come about? And you said off, off air you, you met David Beckham because of it. Yeah. How did that all come about? Um, well, so they saw my work, um, and Hay Club were doing a series of artist bottles, um, and they, they'd done D-Face, a guy called Bradley Theodore. Yeah, I know, yeah, he's represented by another gallery just down the road. Uh, yeah, um, Maddox. Yeah. Gallery. Yeah. Um, and so they'd done D-Face, they did Bradley Theodore. Um, I'd actually spoken to them before that and just timings didn't work because I had quite an important show in Italy in September. So we agreed to do the collaboration this side of, you know, the new year. Um, so yeah, we worked quite a long time on it. Um, yeah, it's, I think it's one of those things that I'm always very careful how and what I step into. I always look, you know, do my research. I think you have to be careful, you know, when you're slightly in any sort of public eye even as an artist you know it's very easy to get pulled down if you do the wrong thing or say the wrong thing and and um so i looked into they seem quite an ethical company uh, it's owned by a big umbrella company called diageo <coughs> and 
you know, it, it was all quite exciting. And they wanted to let me do absolutely whatever I wanted to do. So there was no kind of rules and regs, which is quite rare. Of course, yeah. Um, and so we went through a, a stage of kind of, you know, doing the bottles and getting sort of proofs done and seeing what worked and what didn't work. And then launched it a couple of weeks ago now. And they sold out pretty quick, which was good. How many bottles? Thousand and um, how much is a typical bottle of the whiskey? Oh, I don't know. I don't know twenty something quid. Yeah, and how much was so? How much? They were, they were forty quid. Oh yeah, right. I think they were just a tiny little bit more. Yeah. So it's again, you know, it's an affordable. It's kind of like why Cause does toys, and yeah, it's an affordable entry point into owning and collecting, making your home look beautiful, or whatever you know. And I mean, likewise, I've got so much art in my house; it's like untrue. Mm. Um, we've got all sorts. We've got Bridget Riley, we've got Anish Kapoor, we've got graffiti artists like Carlos Mayer, um, Augustine Coffey, Shokwan, yeah, Pose, all sorts. Hmm. When when I saw the design of the of the bottle, I thought, you know what, it's a match made in heaven because it was quite fitting because their their colour of their bottle anyway is yeah. blue, and I know you've used kind of them deep. Yeah. Blues in your artwork before, so I think it. I they think they have these special. cool lines on the side. Like, a lot of people think that I got them to put the lines on the side. The only thing I really wanted to do, which we couldn't do, just we didn't have the time. So I wanted because I use a lot of pink in my work. I use this kind of like yeah, neon pink. So I wanted to do a pink lid, but it, the the lead time on that, like you need months and months and months. So we we didn't have time to do that. Oh, okay. Well, maybe round so, two then you might be able to do it. Who knows? You never know. Um, what was David Beckham like to me? Because to to well, me, I I haven't actually met him. Okay. No, so I haven't actually met him. Okay. Um, just to clear that up. Cool. It, it's it's all. It's it's, it's complicated because you know there's the PR team and then yeah, there's yeah. The, the team, but um, yeah, so it's I haven't actually met him, but he smells really nice. <laughs> right. Um, he's one of the coolest guys anyway. Uh, certainly from the UK and uh, it seems like everything he touches almost seems to go well and it must have been you know, quite a cool thing and to, to get recognised as, as an artist to, to collaborate with one of his companies. It, it is. It's, I think what's nice is that you, you know, it's just when people appreciate what you do on, on any level, it's really nice. You get kind of, um, it's quite hard, especially in the last year, you know, it's hard to know if, if anything you do kind of like, you know, gets out to the sort of broader scale of things. Um, and I'm forever, you know, in my studio on my own working. And so when someone is appreciating something, it, it kind of gives you a bit of incentive to continue to go to go on. Um, and it has been a bizarre and tough year for a lot of artists, mm. um, which, you know, and the, most artists spend a lot of time on their own anyway. But I just mean from like a financial perspective. Yeah, it's it's been quite hard for a lot of people in the art world for galleries as well you know i've seen a lot of galleries closed down yeah um so yeah it's 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 been horrendous mm. it's the only way i can put it the um covid has definitely changed a lot of things and um but i'm a believer you know you know let's say the people are quite dynamic versatile people that are resourceful yeah tend to get through these times and they become better individuals or organizations off the back end of it yeah. but i do believe that <clears throat> there is a silver lining with everything in life and i think that 
you know what? It's um, <clears throat> like when I spoke to Cope too, he had multiple different shows lined up. Then COVID hit and all lockdowns were imposed. And he literally thought, Jesus, how am I going to pay the bills? I've got a family to feed. But then he started getting people call him, calling him, reaching out to him via social media, people they would never consider as street art artists, collectors or investors. And they start buying his work because they were stockpiling uh, street art works to preserve their money because ISIS bonds, bank-based investments, they were diminishing because of the economy was going down. Did you have any any experiences like that, or can 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 you see I mean, why people would do that? I don't know if I had any experiences. Like that. I mean, I, I'm I'm lucky. I'm I'm kind of always in a position where we we managed to sell work. Like I did a little release of small A5 paintings uh, about two three weeks ago. I was only, you know, they're all originals, but they're small A5 pieces and they sold out in 24 hours. So, you know, we, we're kind of always doing things like that. I did a print release with, do you know, Nelly Duff, print publishers. No, I can't say. Okay. Uh, I did that kind of late last year and that sold out. So, I mean, I just kept working. I, it wasn't anything in particular. Yeah. It was just stuff that was going on. Yeah. Um, which was quite nice. But, uh, yeah, I, get, I don't think there was any one particular thing. I don't think anyone, I don't think I was surprised by any kind of reach out. I guess I was quite surprised by the amount of support you get from people, which I think is really lovely. Yeah, powerful. Um, and you see that through and it's important. social media. Yeah, yeah. it is. And, and, and I, 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 you know, I like social media. I like, uh, I like using Instagram. It's, it's a tool. You know, it's a tool to kind of share and share your work and have conversations and engage. Um, I, I'm not sure it's like a selling point or a shop. You know, it's just, for me, it's engagement. Yeah. And I think that can lead through to other things. Um, it's just how you do it. You know, I know artists who literally, that's their living. You know, Instagram is how they make money, um, how they sell work. I'm not sure it's that's the case for me. It's a little bit different. Okay. Um, but I, I mean, the weird thing is, I had this show in September in northern Italy, and they got in touch with us in April. Um, it's a gallery called Kronos Gallery. Okay. And it's in a 16th century palazzo in Trento in northern Italy, and they they got in touch with us. Like, Just open this gallery. Really like you to be our inaugural artist, you know, for a show, and. We were thinking, this is crazy. Like, Northern Italy at that point was in a real mess. Yeah. Um, but we had a few Zoom calls, and and then we got to go out in July, and we went and met the people and saw the space. We're like, okay, it's cool. Uh, and then the show was in September, um, and it was really successful. I was, I was quite surprised, just just because of the state of the world. And, and I, I, I did it because I thought it's good to be doing something. Um, it's good to be working. And it kind of went above my expectations, which was really nice. Yeah. What, what we haven't spoke about, which uh, I think is important because I'm a, I'm, I am a fan of your work. I really like it. I like how sort of um, minimal it is. And I think it's, uh, I just think it's fantastic. I think it's, it's, um, it's timeless. You know, I think it's going to be very, very cool and still in regardless what era that we, we go into. I think it's something that people are going to look at and go, that is Remy Ruff. You know, it's never going to be uh, mistaken for anybody else's work. That's so, nice. so what, so um, for the viewers that, that maybe are not watching this, but just listening to it on, on iTunes, describe your work and how did it start? How did you come up with that style? 
I mean, I guess I was doing letters from 1984 until probably the late 90s, early 2000s. And I just felt that I was very limited with what I could do with writing my name. Um, and I'd also grown up with, whereas a lot of people had been into kind of like the kind of more traditionalist graffiti art through subway art or spray can art or, you know, books and magazines that they had. I was very intrigued by the more left field, um, diaspora of people like, I guess, Futura, um, Ramel Z, um, Dondi, and a few other people that probably aren't so known in the world. People like, I don't know if you know A1's work. Um, he's a New York artist. Yeah. Trained painter from the yeah, yeah. 70s, 80s. Lived in Paris for a long time. Sadly, not with us anymore. Um, and I was very interested in their their left field attitude and, and aesthetic. And it, it was kind of taking what they knew and what they'd grown up with and then going post with it. Like, you know, this, I really like the term post graffiti because I think post graffiti really explains um, the aesthetic and, that, and how it you know, has manoeuvred into something new. Um, and I wasn't comfortable with the traditions of... Yeah, I always used to think this is a rebellious art form. Why are you putting rules and regulations? I would just like go out in the streets, paint what you want. You know, there's no rules. You've got to do it like this. You've got to have arrows. You've got to have 3D, character there, character there. And I just thought, I, I need to abstract. I need to fragment what I'm doing. And I started with the letters and I just started breaking them down and simplifying them, I guess minimalizing them. Um, even to the point where I think sort of, uh, 98, 99, I was only painting black letters, no colors, no outlines, no just black, just literally sketching black letters on white or gray walls, um, for, for a good period of time. And then, you know, that continued to kind of inform what I was doing in studio at that point. Um, and then I guess, I don't know, I remember being, God, it must be 2000 or 99. There's a really important artist called Juice126, who's from Birmingham, who's kind of like, you can describe him as, he's like the British version of Futura. Okay. Um, very important artist, very influential on a lot of people in, from the UK. Uh, and he and I were in um, the Tate Britain looking at the Jackson Pollock show, which was on. Uh, that okay. was the last big Jackson Pollock show that was on in London. It's like 20 odd years ago. And there's a, painting called Full Fathom Deep, I think. And it's all, it's massive. It's a portrait size. And I just stood in front of it and I just knew that this was what I wanted to do. I want to make art on scale that is mine and has my my signature style. You know, and it's, it's really important for me, I think, to just be original. Mm. Um, and I've worked really hard to create what I think is, is my thing, my own thing. Um, and and keep evolving it, which I think is really important because you just can't do the same painting for the rest of your life, you know. So you got to do a show of thirty paintings, you know. You you got to diversify and do different things. Yeah, you can't do the same thirty paintings again and again and again. I was going to ask. So you're almost fifty now, and I've got to say, mate, you've kept yourself in really good good Thank condition. You, you don't do, you do not look, look like you're about to turn fifty. I can tell you that. <laughs> um, but what inspires you now? 
crazy you know, from from a from a creativity point point of view like how do you keep yourself that 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 fire burning to think you know i need to push on i need to evolve i need to become i think it's having nice projects like you know having shows projects that, that keeps me <clears throat> on my toes but i mean i mean i'm influenced by like so many things, like architecture you know i walk around london or i mean i remember being in detroit um year before last walking around detroit doing a big mural project there that's some great architecture in Detroit, really great architecture. Um, and even just like London, you know, like all the brutalist buildings, like, you know, the Barbican. It's like, London is awash with incredible architecture that people just walk past, mm. pay no attention to whatsoever. There's a really interesting um, uh, architect called Zaha Hadid, who um, she designed famously the um, swimming pool in the... Um, Olympic Park, okay. East London, um, and she's really out there. She passed away a few years ago, but she her company still exists, and they still make incredible buildings, all kind of based on her aesthetic. And you know, I love stuff like that. I love pushing the boundaries of creativity and pushing the boundaries of what's possible with architecture or with art. Um, there's an artist I love called Katarina Gross, who's German. I just love her work, um, and she uses like. Um, spray guns to like spray huge washes of colour. It's it looks like a mess, and she does museum shows, and it goes everywhere. And then they have to like clean it all up after, you know, when they kind of put it back to normal. Um, but I love that chaos. I love there's a beauty in the chaos of what she does. So many things, so many things inspire me. There's no, you know, clear thing. It's like I'm always writing notes or. Mm. Um, and I guess, you know, that, that informs the, the kind of things I want to do and move into. You know, because I don't just want to always be a painter. You know, there's other things I want to do. Yeah. I was going to say, so you, you obviously just launched the collaboration with David Beckham's company, yeah. High Club. What is next for you over the next two, three, four, five years? Collaborations and what other type of work are you going to do? Um, I know, for example, going back to Cope, yeah. I know he's done some figurines. He said it's not really his favourite thing to do, but he would do some. Figurines. You know, like bears okay. almost, yeah. you know, and because obviously he's a street artist, so he, he predominantly does like the canvas works with, you know, his dubs on there and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, Crash, who's obviously a very good friend, friends with Cause, Cause has evolved into figurines and everything yeah. else. Um, can you see yourself going down that route or are you going to keep more to what you know? I've, I've toyed with doing some sculpture, um, kind of like what I do on a canvas, but in a sort of three-dimensional sense, maybe 3D printing. Um, I've got, um, I did a big project with an architect firm in Hong Kong called IDAS. They're one of the biggest architect firms in, in Hong Kong. It's massive. Mainly build like uh, uh, airports and stuff like that. Um, and he, one of the architects there, I've become quite good friends with, is a collector of mine taught me how to use SketchUp to kind of design three-dimensional maquettes. I okay. Guess. So, you know, I, I've got a little bit of skill with something like that. So that, that could be quite interesting. Um, <clears throat> I've got, I mean, over the next couple of years, I've got some quite big projects going on in Italy. Um, and I'm trying to work towards hopefully doing a really major show in London, probably for 2022. Hmm. which would be nice because I haven't I mean I haven't shown in London since or last solo show I had was 2015 with Screen Gallery okay okay and um, 
So if, if someone were to go to your social media or onto your website, what type of things do they expect to buy? Um, so I, I sold a piece last week to uh, a collector who <clears throat> went through my online shop um, and then I actually saw that he lived two streets away. So I was like, I'm not going to post. It will take me longer to walk to the post office than it will to walk to his house. So I messaged him and, and said, look, I'll, I'll walk this over. I live really close. So uh, we've got butchers near me that I, um, I'm quite good friends with the guys in there. Um, and he used to be with like the ginger pig in London Bridge and right. set his own thing up. And I, I took them one of the bottles of whiskey in um, as a kind of, you know, like it's for you guys. And this collector had gone in there to buy some stuff and seen the bottles. Like, who did that? And so Lyle, who works in there, was like, this is Remy. You know, he kind of comes in here quite a bit, lives locally. Uh, and straight away he went on my site and bought something. And I dropped it round, and he said, I really love your understanding of colour. So hopefully, when people go onto my social media, they will get their own understanding of colour and how colour can work. And maybe that's that's what they will get from it. But there's you know, there's other things, composition, there's line, there's form. Um, and is it is it originals as well as limited editions on there? there I mean Pretty much nearly everything I do are originals. I don't really do that much print stuff. I've done a little bit, and I do have a bit of a dalliance with it, but um, it's never been that big a thing for me. Mm. Um, I think, you know, making original work for people, I think is more important. It's, you know, you could just get bogged down in the world of multiples and prints. And, yeah. You know, I've kind of seen that from the world of street art, and people just like, bashing prints prints upon prints upon prints it just doesn't appeal to me so yeah. i don't mind you know if other people it's cool i have no, nothing against it it's just not for me yeah and i know it's going to be like a very very broad um question but obviously you've got your own goals your own visions and your own aspirations over the next two three four five years and ten years and beyond you know whenever you decide to hang out the paintbrush so to speak but where do you see the art market going yourself? I mean, because you, 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 you've quite clearly said that from the 80s, you got inspiration from like all different types of things. And, you know, you, 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 were, you were painting when there was no such thing as the internet, no such thing as um, social media. And that mm. certainly had an influence, not just on art, but everybody's life. Mm. Where do you see things going over the next, you know, few decades from now how do you how do you see art evolving and who do you see being a part of that market um i think it's going to change quite drastically i think the, the world of galleries because we spoke as well just to yeah. interject about this nft, NFT. and I, i've seen a lot of people get very excited by it yeah I, I'm, I'm not discounting it on any level yeah um, i think played well it, it could really work and i've seen you know there's it's not I mean, it's not the most original prospect in the world, you know. Like people have kind of done similar things before. Because for for the benefit of people listening, and, and I'm not the best person to to articulate it because I've not really researched it. But NFTs are a token to. I've done a little tiny bit. Yeah, you kind of it's like it could be digital artwork, could even be a concept. You could buy a concept, but you'll get <laughs> something to certify that you own this concept i i still don't know how it exactly works but i do like the idea and it could you know done in the right way if you know it's like if, if the token 
is something that's really cool and collectible. Like in itself, that can be something. But I think the tangibility of art um, is slightly at risk here because we're in, you know, COVID land and people are a little bit like, oh my God, what's next? What should we do? How, how can we, you know, continue? How can we make a living? My, my concern is that this is like the next big thing that everyone's going to kind of like jump into before it's really had a chance to grow. Mm. Um, but then, you know, it's one of those things, if you miss the boat on it, you miss the boat. I don't know, it's tough. It's like, I'm, I'm quite happy to, to inform as much as I can myself on it and, and understand it. Um, and there are, you know, there's things happening all the time. Like my wife this morning was, was telling me about Clubhouse, which, yeah. which um, has been going for quite a while, but has really started getting traction. Started to catch fire, definitely. Yeah, so she was explaining it to me. I'd, I'd never really heard of it. So. We'd done our first uh, Clubhouse room last week, oh, really? and we're having a bit of a tutorial shortly in a, uh, in a moment uh, oh, about okay. our next... That, that's exactly what she was doing. She was yeah. in, a, in a, like a room like that was a kind of a tutorial. Um, so I think there's, there's a lot of interesting things. I think the world of online is very interesting. Um, it makes everyone accessible, which is fantastic. Mm. Um, I don't know where the future lies with the physical gallery. The, the, the point is, though, people love to go and look at art. People love to, to see art. And to experience it, and you can't experience it on a on a small screen. You definitely can't. The size no. of no. a matchbook. Um, well, that's why it's a bit like you know with fashion. Um, I bought some stuff online, but it doesn't take the experience away for me personally to go yeah. into a shop and try something on and have that whole experience. Yeah. I think that's quite quite important, and maybe that might may die out in five, yeah. 10, 15, 20 years. But I don't think it's ready to die out just yet, and I think. Certainly, from from an art point of view, I can't. Re- I mean, yeah, people are buying in auction, virtual auctions. I mean, last year, a Jean-Michel Basquiat head got sold for thirteen million dollars. I think it broke the the record in a virtual auction at Sotheby's, or maybe Christie's. I think it was Sotheby's. Four hundred million was raised in one night. So it does demonstrate that people do buy stuff virtually. But maybe that person has already bought a bunch of. Basquiat, so he understands what, or she understands yeah, what, what she's looking the at. Reputation. If you're buying something from Christie's or Sotheby's, you you know, you know they're going to have done their due diligence in knowing what that piece is and yeah. the state of that. Um, so I, I'm, you know, it's kind of a bit of a different world. But that said, you know, like I sold fourteen <coughs> paintings last week that were you know, five hundred pounds each, all online, just from you know putting them up on my social media. Um, within 24 hours so a lot of people will buy things um i don't know what the price point is for how far people will go or how you know i guess there's no price people you know if they want it people want something and they can obtain it in a certain way they'll get it that way yeah um but i just think as far as physical galleries i think i think it's quite a shame if if the only galleries that we can go into are your white cubes and your gagosians and tates and because you know a lot of the kind of more indie galleries let's face it do the most interesting stuff because they can you know like gagosian or white cube they don't sign you know people from the graffiti world because they don't fully understand it and they probably don't understand the connectivity to history of art and how important that is um, I'm sure that will change one day. 
but you know to experience that if you want to find like a really great artist who i don't know comes from the midwest of america um that you've maybe seen a few things done a few prints and posters and suddenly he's doing a show in a small gallery in denver colorado Mm. you know you happen to be out there you want to go and see it yeah it's gonna be so sad if you don't have that accessibility to affordable art Mm. um and and art that isn't on blue chip top tier kind of shelves yeah any sort of advice that you've got to let's say it was a younger version of you um you know you're looking down and you're kind of mentoring them um and they wanted to become a, a household name in the street art sector or just learn the craft is there any kind of you know little pointers little sound bites that you can give them i mean be true be, be true to yourself make art that that you want to make and that you think is original. I mean, people always say nothing's original. Everything's been done before. I don't believe that. That's not true. That's, that is not true on any level. Everything can be original. You can create something. There's infinitesimal options of what you can achieve and do in this world. Um, and I, I do get, you know, I get sometimes people who like copy my stuff and they like tag me in it. So it's quite sweet on one level, but then another level, I'm like, oh, what if suddenly they got like, you know, 150,000 followers, yeah. you know, and then people think, oh, that Remy guy's copying him. I, I don't know. Um, well, is that that whole argument of, you know, uh, brainwash copying Banksy? You've obviously seen that um, documentary. Banksy created brainwash. Yeah. That was, like, that was just creation. That yeah. Was, that was just a clever marketing ploy. Yeah. Um, I always think with giving advice, the advi- the best advice to give is do what you love love what you do um i always also think that if you give too much away people people be careless with it so you have to hold some things close and keep them to yourself all right good stuff remy where can people find you um i'm on instagram at at remy ruff um r-e-m-i-r-o-u-g-h and my website is remy ruff.com uh that's it really i have work in numerous places all across the world, um, quite like London. Got some mules in East Dulwich. Um, got a big one in King's Cross. Nice. It's a gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> so yeah, it's out there. Good stuff. Um, one more question. So you might have heard this from my other podcasts. I've got a catchphrase, which is "Be happy, never content." Yeah. If I were to ask you your interpretation of "Be happy, never content," what does that mean to you? Be happy, never content. I mean, I try and always be happy. Um, I think it's nice to be kind. Um, I think if you are happy, then contentness will come. Um, but yeah, just be happy. That be that should be enough for everyone. Be kind and happy. Yeah, I support we that. We all need a bit of kindness at the moment. We definitely do. Thank you very much for your time. This You're is welcome. This is going to be out on uh, YouTube. It's going to be across all the social media channels. Um, and like I said, this is part of an art series. So this is really, really important for, for us to connect with people like yourself and other uh, affiliates. And like I said, this is not just about just doing a podcast with you. It's about, you know, forging a relationship. So at some point we can start potentially working together and working on some very cool ideas and cool projects. And I think we're going to give a lot of value to our audience and also to our client base. You have to come around my studio one time. Definitely. I would love to do that. Thank you very much. Okay. Very welcome. Um, be happy, never content. Look out for this over the next few weeks and uh, please share, comment, save and do all the good stuff. Thank you very much. Bye.